All right, so as Brother Phil just read, we are in the Gospel of John. A couple weeks ago, we began working through the Gospel of John, and we were able to talk about this Word that has existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we learned more and more that the Word became flesh and actually dwelt among us. This Word actually meaning kind of set up His tent among us should give us kind of flashbacks in our minds to the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting where God's presence was with, was with His people. The same thing's true in a different way with the Son coming. We talked about the Son taking on flesh, the incarnation, and Jesus being fully God and fully man, or truly God and truly man. So this week we're jumping into this section where we're going to talk about John and his testimony. And I want to begin with the question, who are you? Who are you? Each one of you. Think for a second. Who are you? That question is extremely important because the way we answer that question It's actually linked to deeper questions like, what's the meaning of life? You ever had that conversation with somebody or thought that yourself? What's the purpose of all this? What's the meaning of life? That's tied to who you are. I did something that I don't recommend often, but I went on Google and I searched... What's the meaning of life? (laughs) Wow. You can imagine that there are a ton of answers to that. There are a ton of answers. Do you know that it's one of the most asked questions by all humans? Who am I? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? I wonder if today we could get some help from Jesus' crazy cousin, John, the Baptist or baptizer, whatever you're more comfortable with. Let's work through this text together verse by verse like we like to do. Starting in verse 15. John, this is talking about not the writer of the Gospel of John, not the beloved disciple, but this is John, the Baptist, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Starting right off, this is actually interesting because if you know anything about John's life and you know anything about Jesus' life, they're cousins. And again, like I said to you before, some of you are new, so I'll say it again. All of us have that crazy cousin. Okay, that one that's out there that everyone's like, oh yeah, kind of the black sheep. And again, if you can't think of that cousin, then you're the cousin. But John is actually older than Jesus. He was born before Jesus. So what is John actually saying right from the get-go here? John bore witness about him and cried out, this, is a, this was he whom I said, he comes after me. 
ranks before me because he was before me. See what John's doing right there? He's saying, actually, even though my cousin Jesus was born after me, as we learned from the verses before, Jesus is the Son, the Word who became flesh. John understands by revelation from God who Jesus is. He's from forever ago. He's the Son, the eternal Son. So John understands that. So not only was Jesus before him, but John is also saying he's more important than I am. Now John had gotten a pretty big following by this time. People are hearing about him. They know what's going on. John, this is, this is interesting. He's saying right away, this is who I'm talking about. John's saying, I'm talking about Jesus. Everyone else is talking about John. He's saying, no, I'm talking about Jesus. Verse 16, For from him, or from his fullness, we have all received grace Upon grace, talking of Jesus here. And I just love this picture. Some translations will say grace in, instead of grace or in the place of grace. I think this is a good translation. From in his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And as I was thinking about this, what does it, like, what does it mean to have grace upon grace? Now it's definitely talking in reference to the Mosaic Law, which was the law given to Moses, which is going to come right after this verse. But one picture that I think it could be talking about here when we see, receive grace upon grace is, you ever been to the beach? You ever been out to the beach and maybe some kids with you, or maybe you were out there, and, and the waves are really coming in? Kind of windy out there. Waves are really coming in. And, you know, I remember taking each one of our kids out there, and they're scared at first, except for Isabella. She just charged straight for it. <laughs> the rest of them were kind of like, what is this? So you go out, and you get into the water, and have you ever had it where you just get beat by the waves? Boom. Boom. And, and your, your kids are getting used to it and they kind of get knocked down with the wave and before they can get back up again, boom, it hits them again. And you're like grabbing them out of the water and coughing up water and like, oh, this was, this was a fun time. Let's go get ice cream and go home. <laughs> but you ever had that? I think in a positive way, a, a nice picture here is God's grace is just pounding us. Pounding us and pounding us over and over again. It just It doesn't stop. And truly, if you get in the grace of God, you understand the grace of God, it will just knock you over. And you'll worship. Men, from His fullness, from Jesus' fullness, from the Word's fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law, now this is where it's tying to the, the law of Moses. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I was reading different commentators on this, and some people kind of have this idea where Paul sometimes talks about the law, and he talks about grace, and it's almost like they're kind of against one another. The law, law brings death, but Jesus brings life, kind of that idea. But I don't think that's what John's saying here. I think that the law itself was also grace. If you think about it, back even in the garden, Adam and Eve, the moment that they sinned, they were separated from God forever. Do you remember that he, he puts them outside of the garden? Do you remember that? And then he, he puts something at the, the gate of the garden to guard it. Does anyone know what that is? What is it? An yeah, the an angel, right? And he's doing that to, so that way they would not be in the garden, go back into the garden and eat from the tree and be eternally separated from God. He actually does that as a grace. And then he offers up all these laws in the Old Testament. Why? Well, ultimately, those laws are a shadow of things to come. Okay, The sacrifices, those things are, are a shadow of the true sacrifice, Jesus. But what's interesting 
is with these laws, if you will, these sacrifices, they were grace. They were grace because what it did is it held back the wrath of God for years upon years upon years until He poured out His wrath on Christ on the cross. So I think that the law and the sacrifices and all that were a grace. And now we're receiving more grace in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Okay. So from His fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Right here, this is again going back to what Exodus 33, Exodus 34, when God is actually interacting with Moses. And Moses is like, show me your glory. I want to see it. And God's like, you can't handle that. You can't. You can like, I'll tell you what you can see. You can see like a a little bit of glory as I pass by. That's the best you can handle, Moses. And he's saying the same thing to each one of us. Oh, I want to see your glory. You will one day when we're glorified and we can handle it. But right now, we can't see it fully. We'd be gone like that. So, so in his grace, God passes by and Moses just gets a little, little peek of almost like a trail going by. But what's interesting is we see the grace of God even more in Jesus. Turn with me to John 6, just a few chapters over. John 6, 46. Could be, it should be up on the screen. I'm read 45 and 46. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. This is Jesus talking about. This is, it's the Son who's seen the Father. Nobody else has truly seen the Father. This is said again in John 14.9. If you continue over... John 14. Philip said to him, this is when Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen my Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So that there, ultimately, Jesus saying to him, If you've seen me, you're seeing You're seeing God. Because again, the Word becoming flesh. Back over to John chapter 1. So no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus is how we know God. And here's the thing, congregation. How do we know Jesus? We know Jesus because we have the Spirit of God inside of us when we trust in His perfect life, His virgin birth, His death on the cross in our place for our sins. And after three days, He rose for our salvation. That's how we know Him. But ultimately... The way he's revealed is in his word. We have to know the word of God because that's how we know God through Christ. So the writer of Gospel John says this piece and then he transitions a little bit and he starts to tell us specifically in verse 19, what is the testimony of John? This is where I want to spend some time today. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Realize that the, when this says the Jews sent the priests and Levites, Jews are used multiple ways throughout the Gospel of John. Here this seems to be the, 
The Pharisees, as we'll see a little bit later, these are the, the rulers, those who are doubting who, who John is, what is he preaching, those who are waiting to hear about the Messiah. Usually we find out that this group is up to no good most of the time. And this is the testimony of John. So they sent the priests and the Levites. Remember that the priests and Levites, you have the Levites who would serve in the temple. So these guys would be you know, cleaning, protecting, kind of like the police of the temple, playing music, uh, musical instruments, things of that nature. But maybe not necessarily the priests. Those come from the line of Aaron, which if you remember, John was actually, his dad would have been part of this. John could have been in this line, but instead, John's out in the wilderness preaching. God had a different call for John's life. So they sent these priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? Like I asked you this morning, Who are you? I love John's response. John is humble. John is extremely humble. Now, he's not as humble as Jesus, obviously, but he's a good example for us. Right away, he confessed, verse 20, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It didn't say that that's what they asked. They said, who are you? John says right away, I'm not the Christ. Get that straight right from the get-go. That's not who I am. What's interesting is, could there be for Jewish people anyone more important than the Christ? The Messiah, the promised one? They just asked John, are you the most important person ever? Question in today's world for each one of us here, each one of you here. If you were asked, are you the most important person? Would you be quick to say no? Would our world be quick to say no? Or does it seem like, especially in our culture, the thing is to try to be the most important person that everyone knows? And we work so hard to try to look important. We, try to, we work so hard to try to show that we're actually more important than we really are. John does the opposite. John says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the most important. And they said, okay. So they said, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? You ever thought of why they'd ask that question? If you were listening closely when Caleb read out of the book of Malachi, that was a prophecy that Elijah would come again. And you see what John says? Nope, not Elijah either. What's interesting about that, we won't look at it today, but it's something from the notes you can look at. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually talks about John and says, that he's the one, Elijah, who's come. It's interesting. Now again, it's in the spirit of Elijah. The same message or some similarities, that same message. So John even says, no, not him either. And Jesus actually later says, yeah, I think we see his humility here. And it's wonderful. And it's encouraging. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. That was from the other reading we had out of Deuteronomy, the, the, talking to Moses. There would be a, a prophet like Moses, ultimately talking about Jesus. He's saying, nope, that's not me. So they go, they're trying to get some information out of John, and here's their response. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. The bigwigs back home, back in Jerusalem, they want to know what's going on, and they've sent us to find out. You're not the Messiah, you're saying. You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. We need something. Give us something. What do you say about yourself? What a great question. What do you say about yourself? 
George, who are you? Don't know sometimes. Hey, honest answer. Who would say, yeah, I agree with that. I don't know who I am sometimes. Roy, what do you say about yourself? I'm a sinner saved by grace. A sinner saved by grace. Ed, who are you? Yeah. How about you, Miss Debbie? Who are you? What do you say about yourself? Nobody. Grandma? What's interesting is if you ask this question, a lot of times people will start to talk about their identity. I'm a grandma, right? I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a child. A lot of people talk about their work, especially in the United States. Man, we've got this thing wrong. You know, a lot of the world, they work to live, and we seem to live to work. It's interesting. Say, so, oh, well, I'm a pastor. If my identity, if the answer to who am I has to do with something else that can change, then I'm going to be lost forever. Let me say that again. If my identity is wrapped up in something that can change, then I'm going to be lost forever because things are constantly changing. I may not be a pastor forever. Sometimes you're married and you, oh, I'm a husband or I'm a wife. That doesn't always last. Whether that's through divorce or death. I'm a parent. Well, all these things can change, but what's interesting is the one thing that does not change is if you are adopted into the family of God. If you are adopted into the family of God, become a child of God, as we saw earlier, you're His. And that never changes. There's nothing that can separate you from it. There's nothing that can take it away. Even death doesn't change it. You are a child of God. And that doesn't change. That's where our identity needs to be. So if your identity is, I'm a child of God, I'm a son or daughter of the King, then here comes meaning. You ready? Then here's the meaning of your life. Love the King serve the king, love others, serve others. Enjoy your father. Guess what? No matter what's happening in your life, no matter how the circumstances around you change, you can always do that. So you always have meaning. Someone has meaning of life. Oh, well, it's, uh, I need as much power, as much money as I can get. You know what? Even people who have all the money in the world, it seems, they're still unhappy. They still don't have meaning. Because that's not what we're created for. We're created to worship our Maker. It's only when we do that when that's the true meaning. I've had a conversation with someone very close to me in my family. And he said to me, I don't have any meaning in my life. I don't know what to do. I said, Try Jesus. Jesus is the answer. That's the only way you're ever going to have true meaning. Everything else is a vapor. Everything else will go away. Friends, I wonder what you'd say about yourself. Who you are. Think on these things. Ask God to show you who you are. I'm telling you, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation and you're a son of the King or a daughter of the King. Almost done. Listen to how John replies. Tell us something about yourself, John. Who are you? 
He said, I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said from Isaiah 40. He just simply said, I'm just a voice crying out. The Lord is coming. Believe in him. That's all we want to be. We want to be a people who love God and cry out, follow the Lord. Right? You ever at the, at the, at the White House, whenever they announce that the president's come or this king or this queen, whatever, there's somebody who announces that. What's his name or her name? Anyone know? I have no idea who that person is. You know why? Because in that situation, they're not that important. What John's saying is, I'm really not that important. You know what's interesting what Jesus says about John? He says that of those born from women, there's none greater than John. But those who are the least in the kingdom will be greater than him. What is that saying? It's saying if you're humble and you're just like, I'm just a voice, I'm just a servant, that's all I am, then you're great in the kingdom of God. Now they had been sent by the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? They're saying, what are you doing? This baptism you're doing is different. First of all, you're baptizing this personal repentance and faith. That's not what we do. We just baptize for cleanliness usually to make ourselves holier. And most of the time in that culture, people baptize themselves. They went down in to clean themselves. John's doing something different. He's baptizing people and he's saying repentance and faith. They're saying, why are you doing this? Are you the the end times prophet that we're looking for? John answered them, look at it, he he just directs it, he just changes it. Look what he says. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. It seems like Jesus was there. And he's saying, why are you worrying about my baptism? I'm just doing this with water out here. There's somebody out here among you. He's going to do something greater. He's going to baptize in a way that you can't even understand yet. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 27, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Humble. You know, even a student with a teacher, they could do, in that time frame, if you were... A student, and you followed a teacher around, you were, you were to do everything. You were basically to act like a slave, except one thing. You didn't mess with their sandals or their feet. So, John's saying, Jesus is the, is the man, and he's even saying, you know what? I'm not even fit to do that. The one thing that a student wouldn't even do. I'm not even fit to untie Jesus' sandals. But yet, he'd have grace upon grace upon grace upon grace on me. Why? Because he's good and he's kind and he's loving. Verse 28 says, These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. That Bethany, some of your translations have a different phrase in there. That's just stating it was in a different place than the other Bethany we see in Scripture. Here's what I want you to just consider today as we part. Who are you? And... The other text we read, are you anything like John, where in John chapter 3, when John the Baptist was talking, if you listen carefully, they just came to him and they said, teacher, this guy, the guy you said is great or whatever, he's baptizing and basically he's stealing your fame. He's stealing your glory. Listen to what John's response, I don't know if you heard it when it was read earlier. You yourselves bear bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Right? 
Get married, bride, bridegroom. John's saying, guess what? I don't have the bride. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John was excited and joyful that the bridegroom came for his bride. This is what I want you to think about this week. Listen to how he ends it. He must increase, but I must decrease. This week, figure out who you are. If you're not a child of the king, I beg you to cry out. You can do that today. Second, figure out in every aspect of your life, how can you decrease and how can Jesus increase? As a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a grandparent, in your jobs, in this church, how can you decrease? How can you be humble and serve so Jesus might increase and get the glory he deserves? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you for this passage of scripture. We are thankful for how you have worked in a, just a mighty way in the life of John. We'll see more of him. But Lord, ultimately, we're, we're infinite, infinitely more thankful for Christ. We're thankful for this son that would come and humble himself to be a servant and even die on the cross in our place for our sins. I pray for anyone here today that has never cried out to you. They don't know who they are because they're not yet a child of yours. I pray that they would do that today. And Lord, for the rest of us who we think we know who we are, sometimes we're not sure, remind us who we are. Help us remind each other who we are. And Lord, help all of us to learn to decrease so you might increase. In Jesus' name, amen.